With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter, at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Welcome to the program. Uh, Troy Graham is on the line. He's VP of Business Development. Uh, 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 I, I always say uh, Descartes' system, but I always know that's wrong. Uh, hi, Troy. Welcome right. to the program. Huh? Uh, I, how do you pronounce it? Hi, Don. Uh, how are you doing? Sure. Good, good. Yeah, it's Descartes Systems Group is the company, and that, that's not uncommon that uh, gets pronounced a little differently from time to time. But thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming on board. Uh, I'm devoting the next two programs to uh, trying to prepare for the holidays, though. It may, may be uh, the holiday uh uh, sales effort, the holiday uh, boom time. It, it's interesting, and uh, we're, we're so glad you're, you're on the program. But before we do anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. Uh, tell us a little bit of what you've done in your life. Sure, sure. So I uh, currently work as uh, Vice President of Business Development here at Descartes, and I work in a team that our focus is largely on small and mid-sized businesses, uh, Descartes, as you know, focuses on logistics software, uh, you know, helping companies do business both domestically and internationally. Uh, so we work with lots of large companies, but, but my particular team, we tend to focus more on small to medium-sized businesses. So uh, I've been helping companies compete with a lot of the, the big organizations out there without necessarily having the, the big budget, a big IT budget that some of those companies may bring to, uh, to their businesses. Oh, okay. How long have you been with the company? Uh, just over 11 years, actually. So I've been uh, wow. working with these companies for quite a long time. Oh, wow. So, um, okay. First, let me ask you, what is the, um, uh, you know, in this world of free shipping, reduced shipping, um, immediate shipping, et cetera, what are some of the problems that the small businesses face uh, in this world today? Well, well, to me, it, it, you know, it, it's like the old adage that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Because shipping is never really free. It's being paid for somewhere. Uh, so for a small business, it's about making a right decision. And oftentimes that decision is hard because it's a combination of things that impact what's the best choice for that delivery. Things like weight and destination and value of the order all come into play, and as a small business owner, I need to be able to make a smart decision to meet my customer's demand for fast and free shipping, but I can't lose all my profit in that same process. So to me, it's about making, making smart decisions consistently to help keep costs low. Well, okay, well, how do you make such smart decisions? Well, to me, there's two ways to do it. One is having smart and generally expensive people that are, are making those decisions. But really the right way to do it is to leverage technology. 
So what we try to do is help companies look at their business deliveries and make decisions for things. As an example, if I'm shipping to a residential address and I have a lightweight package, UPS and FedEx both offer very economical service levels. So if I can help make that decision to say, let's use this service level based on the weight and value of this product and the destination being a residence, I can save some money. Another great example is delivery time. We find, especially with the holidays approaching, as we get closer and closer to the holidays, customers are saying, I need this shipment by a certain date, so I'm willing to pay more for shipping. But the reality is I may be able to ship something with a ground service level and still get it there tomorrow, and there's a, there's a significant profit I can make as a small business by making a smart decision and using a service level that's not an expedited next-day service because I have technology helping me decide that package can still get there on time. Well, obviously, um, um, the technology we're, we're talking about is what you, you at Descartes have. Am I correct? <laughs> Absolutely. We certainly play a big role of, of helping people make those, those shipping decisions um, and, and make that, that process connected to their core ordering system. You know, I may be buying something on a customer's website, and, and, and that's the focus of my business is having a good web presence but the back-end logistics of how does that shipment actually get out the door and get out the door accurately, that's exactly where we come into play and help companies do that. Okay. Well, let me, um, let me give you some examples from last year, which we ran into um, uh, when we took a survey of small business owners uh, after the, um, the season. Well, most of them said that uh, – uh, when they went into various systems, they found that the, uh, the key to the success was customer satisfaction. How do you get, well, not guarantee, but how do you uh, better ensure customer satisfaction, which is reaching the, expect, uh, the customer's ex expectations? Well, I think that's exactly it, is, is setting the right expectation with the customer. So, again, if we look at that example of, I'm ordering something for my, for my kids, let's say for the holidays, and I'm late ordering that. I know I need it here by a certain date. So a couple of things need to happen. One is I need to make sure they get the right product, right? So let's use technology to make sure we scan a barcode and we don't accidentally ship the blue one when I was supposed to ship the red one. That's a quick way to disappoint the customer. Two is I need to let the customer know that I did actually ship it, and here's the tracking number, and here's when you can expect that package to get to your destination. And if I proactively let them know that, two things happen. One is I set an expectation, um, and I don't have the cost of that customer calling me or emailing me and saying, hey, did you ship my package? Is it going to make it on time? And, and the third piece to that puzzle is making the smart decision, right? If my customer tells me they need it by this date, I've got to ship it with a service level that's going to get it to them by that date. So it's all about smart decisions in the logistics. Well, yeah, well let's move a step further. Let's talk about the delivery. Um, you and I know that there were the vast problems last year with some of the uh, delivery services. Uh, do you take that into account? When, when you look at these various uh, elements? Yeah, certainly a lot of companies do. And, and sometimes that is, is making sure that we don't have all our eggs in one basket. And I may be relying on multiple different delivery mechanisms and different carriers as opposed to relying solely on, on a single carrier. The other thing that we can put into effect is the ability to monitor what's happening. So sometimes we may have a situation that's unavoidable where there's a, a, a snowstorm or something like that up here in the, in the New England area where the package is going to be late. But if I have technology that can help me know the package is going to be late and proactively reach out to my customer, it's not a great customer experience, but it's better than that package just not getting there on time and the customer not knowing anything about it. So, again, we can sometimes leverage technology to help minimize the impact of something that we don't have direct control over. Well, do you also help the small business owner uh, negotiate uh, better rates? We all know that uh, 
um, major shippers uh, get discounted rates. How do you help them do that? And yeah, the way we do it is by giving them good information. One of the challenges in that negotiation is oftentimes as a small business, I can go to the carrier and say, I need a better discount. What we try to do is give them information about the history of what they actually ship. And, and what I mean by that is, in my business, I may ship lots of you know, five to 10 pound packages to residential addresses. So instead of negotiating with the carrier for every ground package, I can focus my negotiation on five to 10 pound ground services. So what we try to do is give them information about what did you ship, how did you ship it, what did it cost, so that as you're negotiating with the carriers, you can do that effectively, and also having technology that allows them to, to make good choices, because there may be simply some carriers that can make a, a lower cost delivery to one destination versus another. So if we use technology to decide which service to use, that can help me uh, lower cost and, and leverage the carriers where they have their strengths. Well, uh, we're, we're entering, people say, uh, 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 the uh, Hallmark Channel is already uh, uh, running its Christmas um, uh, uh, movies. <laughs> we're, we're entering that period. Uh, what are the, some of the things that you tell uh, carriers now to prepare for and see what they can do ahead of time? Yeah, to, to me, it's, it, it comes down to setting expectations and making sure I'm not relying too much on people to make those decisions. Let's leverage technology to make sure I've got the right product, the right delivery, and oftentimes in today's world, the right packaging. And what I mean by that is a lot of small businesses today are facing pressure not only from their customers to meet their expectation, but their uh, business partners. One example of that is, is an Amazon or a Target or somebody where I may be selling a product through Target's website or through Amazon, but I'm responsible for that delivery. And as part of that responsibility, I have to have branding on a packing slip, for example. So I now have another requirement placed on me by not my customer, well, not my end customer, but by my business partner. And again, I've got to make sure I don't make a mistake and put the wrong branding into that shipment because that can quickly end that strategic partnership as well. Well, that's interesting. You mean, um, uh, I've heard that uh, uh, some small businesses uh, uh, have Amazon deliver, but also there's a case where someone orders through Amazon but it's actually delivered by the, by the uh, uh, company itself. Is that what you're saying? And that you have to slip, put the right slip on that pa on that package. That's exactly right. And there's there's lots of companies like Amazon and Target and Walmart.com and uh, Overstock.com. Lots of lots of sales channels that small businesses are taking advantage of. But that's exactly right. I need to make sure if if I sell something through Overstock.com when I deliver it to my customer, it sure better have an overstock.com packing slip in it, uh, not the packing slip of another, another merchandise or another retailer. Boy, that could, uh, that could really get complicated. Uh, how does technology help you do that? How does your product or other products help you do that? Uh, that's something I did not, not, did not realize until you just mentioned it today. That's what I love <laughs> about this program. You learn some, something <laughs> new every time. Yeah, well, and that's really one of the, the, the challenges of being an omni-channel business, right? I've, I'm selling through my own website. I'm selling through partner websites. Um, so, so the way that we tend to approach that is typically when I have my order management system, there's some indication in there that says this is an order that came from my website or maybe one of my business partner websites. What happens when the warehouse gets really busy it, it's hard to keep up and keep track of those things. So what we do is we tend to th do simple things like, let's automate the printing of a packing slip. So if an order comes in and it's, it's an order that was sourced through um, a retailer's website, the packing slip that prints automatically has the branding, the look, the feel, the configuration of that retailer's requirements. So if I'm the person in the warehouse, I just take the packing slip off the printer and put it in the box. I don't have to think about making a decision 
Did I pick the right branded packing slip to put into that box? Fascinating. Um, uh, well, tell us a little bit about how your system works. Um, I'm a, I'm in a uh, small business. I sell widgets. Uh, you come to me and sure. say, what? Well, so typically what we do is we start to look at two key areas. One is where are you spending the most amount of time in your, your logistics process? That might be receiving inventory into the warehouse. It might be picking goods, packing goods, printing shipping labels. But first, let's look where are you spending time? And then we start to, to evaluate where are you making mistakes? And oftentimes, those areas where you're making mistakes are where we start. And we tend to take a modular approach to say, for example, hey, we're making lots of mistakes typing the wrong address or making a mistake typing the address into the shipping software to print a shipping label. And every time I ship out a package, I ship it to the wrong address, it's very expensive because I've got to get the package back. I've got a bad customer experience. I've got to reship the menu package. So we'll automate sharing information between that order management system and the shipping software is one example um, where we would come in and say, what's the, the biggest time consumer, the most mistake-prone process? Let, let's connect those systems. Let's automate them and integrate them. And then we can go on and look at the next challenge, which may be somewhere else uh, inside the warehouse or uh, as products are inbound into your warehouse as well. Well, where do you see the, the future of uh, future of this going? Do you see a more integrated system where you're in, uh, you're integrating, say, your system with the uh, small business A with say the Amazon um, uh, factory, or where do you see things going? Yeah, I I think you know everybody would hope that I could have one system to run my business. the The reality is, it's very hard to get software that's good and that broad. So what happens is I end up with a very good e-commerce platform that presents my website and maybe another system that does order management or customer relationship management. So those things need to, to talk to each other. So for small businesses, unfortunately, I think there, there will continue to be diverse systems that they'll need to be able to compete in the market. Um, but, but getting those things integrated talking together, um, in, in doing what, what we typically think about as extending those systems into key areas that are mistake-prone is going to continue to be critical. There, I don't see a, a, a one solution for, for every small business out there. Well, uh, your website and how people can reach you? Sure. So uh, Descartes.com, which is uh, D-E-S-C-A-R-T-E-S.com. Is, uh, is always the best place to get us. And um, we'd be happy to talk with any small businesses about any challenges they're facing. And uh, like myself, our team has spent many, many years talking with companies. And, and a lot of times what you'll find is we'll talk with you simply about, here's what other companies that have done have been, that have been successful. And here's what some other companies have done that, that didn't work as well. And, and together we can, uh, we can usually tackle those, those, those mistake-prone processes for you pretty quickly. Oh, well, uh, since you opened the door, what are some of the mistakes small businesses make when uh, trying to uh, integrate their shipping? Uh, it, it, it's, it's a lot of times businesses look at it and say, well, this is a simple process, and I probably don't need to pay attention to it. But to me, the way I look at, at shipping execution is it's the last step where I can make a mistake for my customer. And, and there's, there's nothing worse than not delivering on time. So it's a very, very critical piece of the puzzle of integrating shipping and communicating the status of that delivery to your customer. So if we ignore it and rely on people, and this time of year with holiday season start to rely on temporary help, uh, it's just going to compound the problem and we're going to make more and more mistakes. So uh, we can't ignore... That, that last opportunity to make a mistake before shipments go out the door. Well, Troy, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you can answer it, but um, why, do, why do many small businesses fail to put in a, additional uh, promotional materials into their 
uh, uh, shipping. Uh, I notice some do and some don't. Um, do you ever attack that issue and talk about it? Absolutely. We we do all the time. I'll give you a quick example. of We've got a customer that sells basically uh, gift baskets. And so they sell lots of different gift baskets, but oftentimes their their customers are buying for an occasion. It's It's Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, something like that. And for them, putting in seasonal promotional material was a great way to get customers to come back and especially recipients of their gifts to come back to them and, and buy additional, uh, additional items from them. But it was a matter of keeping up with, well, what's the right message? What's the right material that should go in with this package based on what was ordered? So in our case, a lot of times what we'll do is, again, a simple, ultimately, printing task to say, hey, this customer's ordering um, you know, a gift basket for Mother's Day. Maybe we should put in a promotion about upcoming Father's Day or something along those lines. But it, it came down to getting the marketing department's message successfully delivered to the, the shipment that was going out the door. And, and we didn't want to rely on people to do that and pick the right flyers or the right promotional materials. Let's make that automated. Then it's easy for the staff to get the right things in the box based on what was purchased. Well, that's that's really good. Troy, you, I want you to come back after the holidays and tell us uh, some of the things that happened that, that uh, you and your company, I know you've been around a long time, but uh, uh, this is a subject that keeps coming up in our email surveys. So I'd like you to come back in the new year and talk more. Great. I'd love the opportunity to do that. And, and thanks very much for, for taking the time with me today. I really appreciate it. No, we appreciate that you came, Troy. And uh, We're talking here with Troy Graham. He's VP of Business Development at Descartes Systems Group. And we're talking about holiday. And I guess his message is uh, you've got to be smart about your shipping like you are about everything else. Would that be a good summation, uh, Troy? Certainly. I think we, we, we want to leverage technology to make up for, for a large IT budget and a lot of staff and make smart decisions by using that technology for sure. Thank you, Troy, and have a good day and a great holiday. Thank you, Don. You too. Our next guest is Abby Leibowitz. It's Dr. Leibowitz. He's Chief Medical Officer, Founder, and President Emeritus. He, um, he wants to talk about uh, health care equity. And welcome to the program, Abby. Hi, how are you, Don? F very fine. Can you speak up a little bit? Our audience sure. wants to hear you. Can you hear me better now? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear me better now? All right, good. Absolutely. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Okay. I was interested in the previous discussion too. It's very, very good information. Uh, uh, I agree. Uh, Troy is a, a great, great guest. Well, now, uh, uh, before we ask all our guests the first question, tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal background, before we do anything else. Right. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm a pediatrician by training, uh, practiced for uh, 13 years in uh, the Philadelphia area in a pediatric group that I put together. Um, I was one of those guys who early on got involved in the managed care movement, the, the development of HMOs, um, and uh, left practice and became a medical director of uh, uh, U.S. Healthcare, U.S. Healthcare and Aetna merged. I was the chief medical officer at U.S. Healthcare and then the chief medical officer at Aetna. Uh, and then in the um, uh, in 2000, um, I uh, brought together a, a group of friends that I'd worked with over the years, and we sat down and started talking about what we'd like to do as our next adventure. And we came up with the idea of a company that would help people navigate through healthcare. Um, just what would the world be like if you could call on somebody to help you with any kind of healthcare problem that you faced? And obviously with my background in clinical medicine and my experience working inside a very large insurance company, health insurance company, um, I figured that you know we were 
probably the, the best people around to help people um, with uh, any of the clinical or administrative problems they might face. And from that, we launched Health Advocate. Um, uh, we grew the business to be the largest independent health advocacy and assistance company in the country. Um, the West Corporation, one of the telecommunications giants, uh, acquired Health Advocate in uh, the summer of 2014, um, but we continue our development as uh, an advocacy company, a company that helps people deal with healthcare issues that can help them improve their health, help employers uh, improve the health of their workforce through our various wellness programs. We provide pricing transparency tools. We um, help people with chronic conditions. We do data analytics. And uh, the net of that is uh, help people to the best possible clinical outcomes at the lowest possible cost. Hmm. Well, uh, um, you, you came to us on the right day. Uh, I don't know how much uh, how much you get involved, but um, uh, at the top of everybody's list right this this morning is the uh, ACA Act and the uh, uh, various uh, uh, rate increases, et cetera. But what do you want to talk about today? Uh, uh, this is a program where we let the guests do most of the talking. <laughs> well, uh, we could take it in, in lots of different directions, um, and um, I thought what we might start out with is just as you, you know, as you pointed out, um, the reason that a lot of attention is focused right now on uh, the options for health insurance under the Affordable Care Act is that it's open enrollment season. Uh, that employers um, go through uh, annual enrollments and renewals of their health benefits for their employees. And in the public exchange market, that overlaps with what happens uh, as well. And that's why uh, on the public exchange through the Affordable Care Act, everybody's focusing on what the premiums are. So um, I thought it might be helpful to talk a little bit about uh, what the various plan options are, what the consequences of, of choosing one plan over another are, and how an individual uh, ought to evaluate um, uh, from the options available what plan to pick. Uh, couldn't agree more. The floor is all yours. Please go right ahead. <laughs> okay. So um, the vast majority of Americans get health insurance um, through their employer. Uh, and typically once a year, it's uh, the, the most common period of time is the end of the year heading into January, um, although there are some employers that have what we uh, call off-cycle open enrollment periods in, in the summer or even in the fall. Um, but typically once a year, uh, the uh, employer um, launches their uh, options for health benefits to their employees, uh, defines the various uh, plan designs and offerings, uh, and the payroll contribution that goes along with each of the plans. So an individual employee faces the same options and decisions that somebody who's buying uh, insurance off of the public exchange in the Affordable Care Act faces, that um, you have uh, typically a collection of plans that have uh, different benefit levels, um, sometimes different networks, and certainly different deductibles and coinsurance requirements and that costs different amounts for you to pay, either as part of your payroll deduction or as an out-of-pocket check that you write. And how do you pick the one that best matches up with uh, what your um, situation is and, and what your um, outlook regarding your future health needs are? So the, the plans generally range from, you know, in, in either setting, they range from plans that are more expensive and that require a lower amount for you to pay out of pocket in the form of a deductible um, or coinsurance to less expensive and plans that enable, uh, require you, that you pay more out of pocket. So the uh, typical person uh, looking at these options tries to figure out the value of making one choice over another. In most all situations where that plan variety is offered, the employer also offers you the chance to set up a health savings account. A health savings account is a, an interesting um, uh, 
addition to the lexicon of health benefits. So when it became common for health benefit plan designs to include a deductible, the government um, through the, uh, it's actually an IRS regulation, allows an individual to put away money to pay for essentially those health needs. You can think of a health savings account to be uh, like an IRA that lets you take out money without penalty to pay for health benefits, to, to pay for health care. So um, if you had, let's just say, a plan that had a $2,000 deductible, you could put $2,000 into a health savings account, and you could use that money to fund payment for the deductible. If you didn't spend it, the account grows and carries forward and um, builds up as a little nest egg for you to spend either on future healthcare needs or for anything else um, when you reach retirement. So um, the idea was to defray some of the burden of paying the deductible by allowing an individual to put money in a health savings account. And many employers, as they uh, uh, introduced plan designs like this, which were called high deductible uh, consumer-driven health plans originally, partially or fully funded that health savings account. So as a benefit, your employer said, okay, we're going to offer you a plan that has a deductible of $1,000, uh, but we're going to put $1,000 into your health savings account so that um, effectively you can use that money to pay for the deductible. And this is a way that many employers introduced these um, uh, deductible plans to their workforce. Uh, 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 you may or may not be aware, but we have, uh, as our site, hsafinder.com, and we mm -hmm. firmly believe in HSAs. Uh, we be an information strategy at our parent company. And, but the uh, ironic part, isn't it, that uh, the average deductible now has exceeded the uh, uh, floor level for HSAs, and it really doesn't make yeah. sense not to have an HSA in today's it world? Really it, it, really, um, it, it really is, you know, if you were a financial planner, and I'm not, <laughs> but um, if, uh, if you talk to people who are financial planners for individuals, um, they will all tell you that one of the smartest things uh, a person should do is um, establish a fund, um, a health savings account amount. From the other side of it, looking at um, the, the ultimate purpose of this, it is absolutely true that people who um, have more responsibility to pay for care out of pocket are better at choosing the care that they get. Um, originally, there was some worry that people would skimp on care and that they wouldn't get the needed care that um, they should get, and ultimately that would come back and you know, kind of bite you in the foot. Um, but that turns out rarely to be the case, um, that it is true that having to spend more of your own money out of pocket for health care makes you um, a different kind of consumer uh, and by and large a better consumer and a, a more um, engaged participant in managing through your healthcare uh, experience. It, it, it's, it's very true. Uh, the people didn't trust the um, p people to make smart decisions and yet they do. They do. Um, now, <laughs> just uh, and, and I don't certainly uh, want to make this too commercial, but um, the business that we started overlapped with these kinds of developments to a great extent. And it's very clear that in many situations, people need help navigating through healthcare. That uh, it's not simply the health benefits side of things that has gotten much more confusing over the years, but the care delivery models. Oh, uh, you know, are are just very difficult for an individual to navigate through and figure out, and and because of that, you create a very inefficient way of using healthcare, and it drives up the cost for everybody. So, you know, we've grown to now serve nearly 50 million uh, people in the country, 
through our various employer and direct relationships. And uh, when you look at that, uh, I, I tell everybody that um, the, one of the wisest things you can do is to have a health advocate by your side to help you deal with, uh, you know, locating uh, the care that you need, getting the appointments that you need, and also dealing with the benefits, understanding how they apply to the situation that you're in. Uh, I, I could not agree agree with you more. Uh, I'm in I'm Medicare, and every time I go to my tr dentist, I'm totally uh, my uh, druggist. I'm totally confused. Right. Um, and, and that's Medicare. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the original donut hole in the in the Medicare pharmacy benefit. I can never explain to my father-in-law why he got complete coverage for his medications. Um, until about uh, uh, March of the year. And then there was no coverage until about uh, September. And then it started up again. I mean, he, it, it was just the most bizarre construct of a health benefit that you could ever do. Um, and it's hard. I mean, you, you, it's very difficult. Obviously, for many of us, we turn to our doctor. Um, and physicians certainly want to help to the greatest extent that they can. Uh, but they don't typically have either the time, they don't get reimbursed for the assistance, and they aren't often connected to the world of the benefit. So your doctor is very good at helping you get to the care that you need and providing that care for you. But, you know, go talk to the physician about the nuances of your uh, health benefit program or your pharmacy benefit program or your dental insurance or your vision care options. And, you know, physicians are, are just not in a position where that's the kind of thing they can help you with. So um, it is very difficult for the average guy to figure all this stuff out. Yes, I don't. Um, no matter who wins the election, I don't think that the the solution is going to happen quickly. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. Um, uh, I, everybody, uh, when when the Affordable Care Act was first passed, I think it was easy to look at the act and say there were some gaps and some holes and. There was the hope that those would be addressed, but they never were. And to a great extent, we're living today through um, uh, some of the uh, results of not having addressed those problems initially. So I think everybody, uh, whichever side of the aisle you're on, hopes that um, in the new Congress and with the new administration, there'll be a, a, a greater sense of uh, uh, kind of um, looking at this to say there are things that we can do better. Um, at the same time, we have uh, more than 10 million people uh, who use the publicly available options through the Affordable Care Act and an additional number of individuals who have health insurance coverage now under uh, the Children's Health Initiatives, the CHIP Act, and uh, others through the expansion of Medicaid. So we've done a, a, a much better job at getting health coverage for um, the, the vast uh, number of, of Americans. Um, it'd be nice if more people took advantage of that coverage. It'd be nice if we uh, could address some of the problems in the way the coverage is designed. But um, I think, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, of a country uh, providing health benefits to individuals so that they can get the health care they need um, is the right track. And uh, I, I'm clearly a supporter. Well, um, having said that, uh, how does you... How does your your company work? Um, uh, it works well. I know that from uh, other sources. But uh, how does it work? And um, uh, what are the benefits of using a health advocate? Uh, and can you use it if you're not uh, with an employer? So um, the uh, business that we started was employer-focused. And today, virtually um, all of our relationships um, are keyed around our uh, employer clients um, and serving their employees. However, the service is available um, to those employees, but uh, you can use it for your spouse, your dependents, your parents, and your parents-in-law, which gives us that, that extension to say that there are you know, 40, 50 million people that can use Health Advocate. We are working on the uh, launch of our direct-to-consumer 
uh, version of the product. Um, uh, we've we've kind of gone down this road uh, with a couple of people who are interested, and we'll see just how that plays out. But right now, this is um, a product, uh, an availability that's focused on uh, employer relationships and a number of health plans who um, make health advocates services available to their members. So Blue Cross in, in Western New York in Buffalo um, includes Health Advocate in their program. Uh, Blue Cross in, in Michigan um, includes us in a portion of their uh, uh, membership and Medica uh, up in Minnesota, as another example, uh, includes Health Advocate uh, and makes us available to a large portion of their membership as well. So we do have some places where we're inside the health plan. Uh, mostly we uh, reach individuals through our employer relationships at this time. And we, we simply communicate to people that at any time they face a health care issue, they can pick up the phone. Um, a human being will answer, uh, and that person will simply say, how can I help you? And from there, we try to uh, do whatever we can to help the individual feel with whatever, feel, uh, deal with whatever kind of issue they face um, as they uh, look at their world. Um, if you look at what we end up doing, about half the time, what we're doing is help people, helping people find qualified doctors, get appointments, get their records transferred, talk to them about their, their illness and the, the decisions that um, are available to them about different kinds of treatment and different care options. And about half the time we're dealing with the bills and the benefits and you know questions about coverage and things along those lines. Um, we also do a lot of work in wellness. Um, as I said, we've got uh, a real commitment to pricing, transparency, and engagement through mobile applications with, uh, with our members so that we can help them become, first of all, more actively participating in their own health care. And secondly, as they do that, help them be, to become better informed. Um, and and then be there for them to help them through this decision process when they need to talk to a nurse or talk to a medical director, talk to a doctor, um, or talk to an expert in benefits. So that's, that's really our model. Um, we, we respond to what people tell us they need. And to be honest about it, uh, that's not something that's always been present in healthcare. You know, the healthcare system rarely says to you, hey, tell me what you need and let me figure out how to get it to you. But that's the message that we put out. Well, it's a very ne necessary. Um, uh, you know, every day you see um, um, stories about how people were, were, were neglected and uh, uh, ended up with problems. Um, uh, I, I, you know, uh, further additional problems. Uh, it was in today's paper. Um, uh, someone uh, died from the, from neglect. Uh, uh, healthcare professionals really try to do well uh, by them. Uh, there's no doubt, but every once in a while, uh, neglect uh, goes into it, and you you need a you do need someone to give you. Um, uh, an idea. Do you also arrange for like second opinions for someone? Right. So uh, we actually are the largest second opinion uh, program in the country uh, in terms of helping individuals get second opinions. And, you know, you, you have to look at this in, in two ways, because there are really uh, different um, understandings of what a second opinion is. Um, they range from the gee, uh, I've got hay fever, uh, I saw an allergist, I'd like to see another allergist, to the um, situation in which you're dealing with a, um, uh, a life-threatening, uh, life-altering kind of chronic condition where you really want to seek out um, level, the level of care at the highest expertise available. Um, and we deal with that whole continuum from the common to the unusual uh, from the uh, who's a, a good orthopedist for my sports injury to, um, uh, heaven forbid, who's the best cancer doctor for my um, uh, terrible cancer condition. Uh, and uh, in the context of that, we, we literally help hundreds of thousands of people a year uh, understand 
the differences in care, the differences in treatment, um, and how you get to another opinion. I think when you look at this, there are two things that are important to realize. The first is that virtually every insurance design covers second opinions. So a lot of people call us and say, you know, am I allowed to get a second opinion? And the answer is that, as, as I said, in, in I, I can't think of a circumstance where the answer would be anything other than, of course, you are. Um, and then the second thing is that when you get a second opinion, you want to move up the uh, up the tree of sophistication and experience. So, you know, if you got, let's just say, you got the first opinion from the world's expert in the condition, and you say you want another opinion, it may not be the, the neighborhood doctor who's only seen five of these in his life that is the best person to get another opinion from. You always want to move forward. You want to move to, to people that have greater experience because the truth is that if you get two opinions and they disagree, all you have is a tie and you're still stuck with, uh, you know, what what do I want to do, what's best for me story. So you want to make sure that you're getting the opinion from somebody that really is best qualified to give it. Well, that's really good advice. Um, uh, um, I'm facing that right now myself, and uh, uh, um, I supposedly have the best in New York City uh, uh, looking at a spinal operation, but you, you just wonder. Um, but let me go to a different uh, topic totally, and um, I would understand. I happen to sit on a medical marijuana nonprofit in New Jersey on the board of one of them. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on medical marijuana? Well, the interesting – where to start? Um, the uh, it's very common in medicine, and people don't don't uh, appreciate it. I, I think to the extent that um, it's out there, that so many of our wonder drugs, um, from antibiotics to other therapeutic drugs, are derived from plants. That um, the the chemicals that are found in in uh, living organisms in plants uh, are um, uh, therapeutic. Um, obviously, they often have to be refined and, and modified in ways that make them even more effective, but that so many of our medications are plant-based. Uh, and cannabis, marijuana, is really just an example of that. Um, obviously, because of its uh, prohibition over the years and, and the whole uh, aura around marijuana, um, it's been a little more difficult to get that message across. But What's clearly evident is that the plant itself contains a lot of um, uh, uh, proteins, a lot of, a lot of chemicals that have therapeutic effects. And um, in, in that sort of context, medical marijuana is, first of all, um, it, it's important because by declaring it to be a treatment option, you can create purified um, uh, cannabis oils in ways that, first of all, are not designed to get you high, but that are purified in a way to make them more effective in terms of treatment. So um, yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of, uh, we, we get a number of questions um, about the availability of medical marijuana. Um, and as you well know, um, in the position that you, you're serving in, uh, it's not easily available everywhere, but increasingly more and more states are recognizing that it does that the drug does have therapeutic value. Well, uh, to clarify, I'm very much for medical marijuana, but not for recreational marijuana. I just happen to feel like you do that uh, the medicinal uh, benefits uh, should be available to uh, uh, patients and. Uh, 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 having been on the board for a long time and watched uh, the results, uh, I'm uh, very much for research to do exactly what you said. I, I didn't mean to get you on the spot, but um, the, uh, I'm always uh, looking for, for uh, opinions on it. Uh, and uh, yeah, surprisingly, well, so. As a, as no, a pediatrician, first. I can tell you that um, one of the things that we see in pediatrics is the application of medical marijuana to difficult seizure disorders, to Dravet syndrome and, and some other very 
um, hard to control forms of seizures uh, where it has tremendous benefit, tremendous effect on, on kids that otherwise um, would, would be um, much more severely affected by their, by their underlying condition. Oh, you know, um, if I may call you a hobby, uh, I, I could spend all day with you. But again, your website and how people can reach you and, and your company and everything, because this, this has been a most illuminating conversation. Well, thank you. Yeah, so um, we're, we're on the web at www.healthadvocate.com. That's one word, healthadvocate, and it's singular, uh, .com. Uh, we've got all of our contact information there. You can kind of uh, click around on the website, look at the various programs that we offer. Um, we're always happy to hear from individual consumers as well as employers and uh, employees. So um, reach out to us, uh, and uh, in in any circumstance, we'll try to help with any problem that an individual has. I mean, that's that's what we're here to do. Well, you you do a great job, and we're so glad that you uh, joined us today. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, I will call Thank you Doctor. Thank you very much. It's interesting. You, uh, you uh, most uh, you don't put doctor first; you put it afterwards, which tells you a little bit about how you how you do things. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, we just try to be not off-putting. Um, just you know, let's just work to make this thing work for everybody together. Well, from, from your lips, lips to God's ears. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, and have a wonderful have a, day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.